we're going to talk about something very important in Jewish culture, Superman. There's been more academic work on Superman in the last 25 years than in almost any Jewish topic I've ever seen. The story of Superman now seems to be more and more important in this ongoing narrative of who the Jews are, how the Jews see themselves, and how that seeps into popular culture. The story of Superman starts off in the early middle 30s. Two Jewish teenagers, Jerry uh, Siegel and Joe Schuster, come up with this idea of this super alien who comes to Earth, and they play around with this. The question is, where did they get this idea? Is asked endlessly. The most amazing popular uh, cultural idea of Superman. And one of the things I did with Tom Andre was to begin to trace the most likely origins uh, with them and how Superman developed. And it happened in 1924 that the strongest uh, man in the world, called the Superman of the Ages, Zsa Breitbart, was a Polish Jew who, during World War I and after, began to go around Europe as a Yiddish speaker and build himself as the strongest man in the world. And he looked different than any other strong man in Europe. Usually they were bulky with mustaches and taciturn, where Breitbart looked like Valentino. He looked like what we'll see Superman to look like, with the curl, with a very pretty face, and he had a delicate persona. Not only could he bend bars, he did them in a Jewish manner. So he bent them to look like uh, Shabbos uh, candlesticks, or like around his arm, like tefillin. And he also had a mug and David uh, on his trunks. These were images that all Jews in the audience recognized as Jewish, but most Gentiles did not. They didn't know the way a iron bar would be twisted to look like a challah and so forth. So this became another sign that we'll see, especially in American Jewish culture, is tipping off Jewish audiences to the Jewish content, but keeping them somewhat or more than somewhat hidden from Gentile audiences. We see this in comedy uh, through Yiddish words all the time. There'll be puppets called farful or latka and, and so forth, Jewish foods that sound funny and are recognizably Jewish. So Breitbart started this in the 20s. He came to America and used this title Superman for the first time. And the New York Times wrote him up because he was, would become the most recognizable Jew in popular culture. He traveled to the two cities of Siegel and Schuster, who were nine and 10 years old, to Cleveland and Toronto. And they said he was more interesting than the Eiffel Tower, this Breitbart. So Breitbart even patented the name Superman. So when you wanted to contact him in New York, he had a bodybuilding empire that it would be Superman New York is how you'd contact Breitbart. Breitbart dies in 1925. He goes back to Europe because the 
the American Medical Association is highly against him because Breitbart says, you know what you should not eat? Meat and milk. You should have grains and vegetables. So this seems so un-American that he's uh, hounded back to Europe where he dies, like Houdini, he dies of uh, a toxic shock and a wound, and he becomes part of, in the 20s, Jewish legends. There's Jewish postcards, there's Jewish plays about Breitbart. Siegel and Schuster take this name and image, and it percolates uh, when they're, they're living together in Cleveland, uh, that they want to create superhero, and they use something that's already in American culture. And this is what we could call biblical futurism, of taking biblical looks and images, like we'd see in Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, with togas and capes and sandals, but projecting them into future or other planets. And so Siegel and Schuster are working on this, and finally, in, in the middle 30s, they develop Superman. For them, Superman, they take this biblical science fantasy, or futurism, and they use it to apply the names of Superman and his family on the planet Krypton. Uh, there, it's the House of El. Every Jew knows the House of El is the House of God from the Bible. And so we have Kal El is Superman as a child, or the voice of God, uh, who is, uh, as you know, sent in a rocket ship just before Krypton explodes. And here we get something that's very complicated, but very important. In American culture, one of the things in pop culture is to explain who these nationalities are who come to America but also to explain them to themselves. So we see them on the vaudeville stage of how to understand what a Swede is, how to understand what an Appalachian is, how to understand what a German is, and so forth. And the Jews have this as well, uh, of using certain stereotypical characters. And usually they're in binaries that you have, so with the Irish, you have the civil servant, the cop or fireman, and then you have the Irish drunken poet. So this sets up this binary of how to look at these immigrants. With the Jews, the binary is, I guess, pretty much like Barbara Boxer and Diane Feinstein. We have smart Jew, Diane Feinstein, or we have good Jew, Barbara Boxer. Uh, so the binary is set up of when people don't know Jews, they think they fall into one of these two categories. With Superman, we have something absolutely original, but goes back, of course, to the Bible. It starts off with the destruction of Krypton, which is like leaving Aden, this perfect world uh, that explodes, that disappears. And then it goes to the story of Moses, where to save the life of her child, Moses is sent by his mother down the Nile, is picked up by the Pharaoh's daughter and raised, not knowing that he's Jewish by uh, kindly Gentiles, but somehow feeling something is wrong. So this is applied to Superman, that Superman is sent by rocket ship 
into Kansas and adopted by a kindly Gentile couple, but feels something is wrong. And here we have the most unusual thing in the binary. Superman has two personalities, which is unlike superheroes before, unlike Flash Gordon, unlike Buck Rogers, that Superman feels that he's missing something, that the world he's from, Krypton. Uh, so he has the superhuman strength, the Superman, that he has to disguise as a kind of nerd who will become Clark Kent, a kindly, unsuccessful, with the women, nerd. And here this is brought together by Siegel and Schuster because it's how they felt. And they saw, just like Jaja Breitbart, the strongman, the strongman also projected, not only as being the strongest man in the world, he also presented himself as the most intellectual and kindly man, that he would walk on certain parts of the shtetl streets not to step on worms, that he had the biggest library on Roman history in all of uh, Germany and so forth. So there was this double side that was unusual with superheroes. And finally, Siegel and Schuster sell the rights to National Comics, later DC, of Superman in 1938. It comes out and it explodes something else in Jewish culture, superheroes of a different kind. There's going to be 700 different superheroes created between 1938 and 1948. 700. Over 550 are created by Jews. So we have Captain Marvel. We have Batman. We have Captain America. All these are the creation of Jews, and they all have something similar. They have this double-edged, in-and-out secret identities. With Superman, both identities are kind of secretive. Not just Clark Kent, but Superman himself. And Siegel and Schuster seem to be saying with so many code words, this is the story of the Jewish people in America, trying to explain to the Jews that in Krypton we were normal. In the Shtetlach we were just normal, not very distinguished, but coming to America we became supermen because of the opportunities that in the arts, in science, and in almost all the fields, that Jews began to dominate some of them, like mathematics and, and certain aspects of popular culture, like film, that something extraordinary happened. To the Jews were the most lowly uh, people in Europe in the 19th century, and suddenly they're among the most prominent, uh, hardworking and distinguished and successful peoples in America. So they become supermen. And back home in Krypton, or Krakow, as uh, one of the scholars says, is the fragments of the old world, kryptonite. And kryptonite is anti-Semitism. It's the one thing that can bring down Superman in his new environment, is this old toxic flow. So Superman and these superheroes created by all these kids, Jewish kids, mostly from the Bronx, who knew each other, who used to play poker once a week and have, they had their own cartoon court in Forest Hills where they would charge each other with grimes and stuff. So this became this strange Jewish cottage industry, comic books. And they are at their height in the 40s. And of course, the comic books were trying to hide, but not always, Jewish identity. 
they fight Hitler and Mussolini. And when Joseph Goebbels finds a Superman comic book that is attacking Hitler, as a matter of fact, after Hitler's punched, Hitler says, you can't do anything more to me, I'm a German. And Superman says, I'm a non-Aryan, beware. So this is one of these little points. Uh, Josef Goebbels, in 1940, writes about Superman, saying Superman is obviously Jewish and an idiot. And, and, and Siegel, whose name he gets wrong, is obviously a Jew who wishes that he could create this. But what happens in 1945 is the era of the superheroes is over. Nobody wants to buy superhero comic books. They've accomplished what they're supposed to do, the superheroes, which is aid in the American war effort, which, like the Jews in Hollywood, that they're glad to be part of this stream. So Superman begins to go into a downhill in terms of sales that Captain America was much more popular. And finally, so this is all well known. Siegel and Schuster, by the way, sell the rights to Superman for $130. And worse than that, which is not well known, they're indentured for 10 years to drawing Superman without their names on it. But something happens in the 50s. In the 50s, there's this new Jewish culture that's beginning to grow. It's to how to deal with World War II. The word Holocaust doesn't even become common until the 1970s with the TV uh, program. But in the 50s, for the first time, the Jews are in America are beginning to deal with the Holocaust. There are a lot of Holocaust survivors in Jewish communities. At first, it's directed towards the Warsaw Ghetto uprising. And finally, it's the entire Holocaust. The fact that half of all the Jewish children in the world have disappeared in six years. That the Jews now, especially with Israel, are beginning to find their way. There's no Jewish museums yet, quite like we have today. But a lot of it has to do with finding out the Jews explaining to themselves who they are. And here we get someone else at DC Comics. This is a guy named Mort Weisinger. And Weisinger gets Jerry Siegel back and says, I want to retell the story of Superman. And the story is going to be, there's a capital city, Kandor. And Kandor has six million people in it, and it will disappear. And this is the code word for Jews in the 1950s, in 1958, six million. That word, which Gentiles, of course, sometimes respond to, but usually don't. Every Jew responds to the number six million, referring to the Holocaust. So Siegel begins to recreate Kandor, the capital city we've never heard of before, and how it disappears. But Brainiac, a robotic villain, just before Krypton explodes, a catastrophe for a alien people, and we know who that is who will disappear, that Brainiac takes the six million in the capital city of Kandor and puts it in this bottle, captures it with this atmosphere from Krypton and takes it away. He wants to collect the six million. So they're all alive, but they're shrunk to flea size. And Superman and his cousin, Supergirl, find out about this. And they get, after many adventures, they get the city of Kandor back, where Superman now 
wants to speak his own language. Superman wants to get back to his culture. Superman wants to talk to his relatives he didn't know as an infant and find out about this lost world. So he takes it to the North Pole, to his fortress of solitude. And he's trying to find, over several years, ways of getting down with Supergirl to the sides of the Kandorians or to bring them out. And there's lots of adventures and, and struggles and fights. And of course, it's about the Jews dealing with the Holocaust. So this is the story of Kandor, which is never discussed as this image of the Holocaust, or rarely, but it's picked up upon. And now we get to the artist who made this, someone I knew, Mike Kelly. Mike Kelly grew up in a working class uh, suburb of Detroit in Westland, and was very unhappy working class kid from an Irish background. His parents wanted him to do what working class parents want their kids to do, is to get an education and to move up on, on the rungs of American culture. But Mike Kelly was interested in art, all different kinds of art, including the lowest popular arts, and decided he went to the University of Michigan in the 70s and decided that he wanted to create this Gesamtkunstwerk, this great mixing of punk music, of pornographic images, of uh, rag dolls and, and so forth into a new kind of art. He was very successful and had a very good eye. He eventually uh, began to work on the idea of candor. Candor, he was obsessed with Superman because Superman also was this alien person in the Midwest who was fighting against what, is, uh, uh, what was expected of him with his parents. And in a way, Mike Kelly was using Superman to become a Jew. But this is also what Superman becomes in the culture, why it's so important. It's how alienated people interested in superheroes find their way into understanding or becoming Jews. And Mike Kelly was one of them, so he began in, actually before, but, but officially in 1999, to create these Candor cities. And he was also doing the same thing with his life. He wanted to take, for instance, his house and rebuild it and put it uh, on wheels and to make it this mobile homestead, to take it around and to show movies, which he uh, did very well. And we see here, he was quite accomplished. And there, of course, what does he capture in his movies is the only Jewish deli in that entire area is part of it. So he has this leakage of uh, Jewish ideas, again, bringing him closer to Superman. He makes quite a few uh, different candors. They're quite beautiful, as we see here, and use of color is quite imaginative. So we have this idea with Mike Kelly of his lost childhood, his unhappy catechism in Catholic school of trying to get over the trauma of his unhappy uh, childhood by preserving it, by recreating it for real, but also through substitutions and projection. And it's quite beautiful and internationally successful. So this is what we're seeing. This Superman obsession that hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of kids have had 
of how it wants to become art and how it uses this transforming notion, not only in a jokey way, but in a quite a serious way of having two different personalities. This artistic or superhuman or powerful personality and this hidden one and how they're actually engaged together. So that is one way of looking at this. The one thing that I did that was original, uh, just to go back, is Siegel and Schuster, at the end of their Superman contract in 1947, when Israel is being founded, and this is the book I wrote, I'll show it to you, that they come up with a new superhero idea called Funny Man, a Jewish comedian from outer space, <laughs> which is actually much closer to them. So this idea got rejected by National DC. They said, we want to control it. We lost the rights of Superman. We're not going to lose the rights of Funny Man. So they tried to put it out with not much success. It was in newspapers and comic book. But the funniest thing happened. And this is that the head of the mob in Montreal was Jewish, the leading bookies. And the leading bookie had two sons who were quite young who were obsessed with Superman, just like Kelly. And they wanted their father to fund Funny Man. So they did. They're both alive, the two sons. One is the ex-provost of McGill University, and the other is the ex-provost of Princeton. So they were obsessed with Superman. So they got their father to engage and to encourage the publication and sales of Superman, not just in Canada, but in New England and New York and the Midwest. Uh, for Funny Man. So Funny Man lasted two years, and of course, unbeknownst to Siegel and Schuster, it's really the story of Israel, Funny Man. And so I'll just show it to you. And um, This is the, the book that I wrote with Tom Andre. It was yet another Jewish aspect. And of course, just like with Superman, there's lots of Yiddish in it. The, the villain is Noradno Gudnik, you know, kind of thing. And there's all kinds of references to blintzes and uh, all the Jewish food, which was going on in popular culture and comedy. So it's so Jewish, and it, it didn't succeed. When I contacted Siegel and Schuster to get the rights to republish it, uh, they wouldn't talk to me because they never copyrighted it, because the mob didn't copyright things that they said, what do we need to do that for? It's a waste of time. So uh, consequently, I had to copyright it for them. And so that's, that's the story of, of Funny Man. And the two of the most unlucky Nebishes, Shlemiel's in, in American Jewish history, Siegel and Schuster. Fabulous talent in understanding what it is to be a Jew and, and how to think about it, but again, were probably the good Jews, not the smart Jews. You know, they were the Barbara Boxers of the comic book world. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right.